0: Yeah. I've been struck with the constant knowledge that I don't deserve it. Uh, what God does here among us is not of our doing, not of our making, not of anything that we can set up. Uh, it's all because of God who's chosen uh, in His mercy to show us love. And I thank Him for being here among us this morning. To take your Bible, turn with me, to the Old Testament book of Daniel. We've been there uh, for a few weeks now, and we're drawing to a close. Uh, go through Daniel 6. Today will be in Daniel chapter 5, so take your time to get there, it's a, it's a long passage of scripture that all of these again. in. You probably want to be able to read along uh, in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, these words to be on the screen, and if you don't have a Bible in your life, we you don't want anyone living here today, without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. We have those on the table uh, over here, you can't miss them, and if you need a Bible, you take that with you, no talking. Uh, we really want you to have that, and so uh, you just pay what you need. All right. Your guest here today. We thank you for coming. I should have mentioned you earlier, uh, but if it's your first time with us, we're just uh, so grateful that you're here. We love you. We love your family. We're glad you supposed to be here today. Uh, we have a gift for you, which uh, it's also on the table or under the table over here. Uh, and also, you can pick up your gift at the next uh, the new here uh, the new here tent out the front of the worship center. Um, so that's just for you, know strings attached. If you would think about it, uh, yes, take a connect card and fill it out for us and drop it in the offering basket uh, before you leave today. We're not going to harass you or abuse that information. We're just glad you're here and want to say so. Daniel chapter 5, uh, a period of time has passed since we were in the end of chapter 4. You remember last week, chapter 4 of Daniel, uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who has Reigned in Babylon since we started this journey in Daniel chapter 1. It was he and his armies who conquered uh, Israel, or rather Judah really, uh, that kingdom of Israel, and brought back to Babylon uh, these uh, young men of promise uh, from Israel and began to condition them to be good Babylonians. And we've watched God's faithfulness and their faithfulness along the way. Uh, and at the last chapter, uh, the Lord reached into Nebuchadnezzar's life in the midst of his sinful pride and brought him very low to the point that he lost his mind and became almost like a beast. Uh, he, he would wander around and the dew of heaven would fall on him. He wanted to the outside. He was eating what animals ate. He lost his mind God not preserved his life. And when Nebuchadnezzar finally lifted his eyes to heaven, the Bible says, his mind was restored to him and he uh, made by all uh, evidence, may have been even converted uh, to being a follower of Yahweh. You may see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Can you think about that? Uh, can you imagine seeing him? I mean, he may be there. He was praising and, and personalizing a relationship with the one true and living God the last time we've heard from him in chapter 4. If he's there, I want to know what he looks like, right? I mean, I'm going to go up to him and be like, you. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, but... Um, Anyway, so we see that happening but but a period of time has passed in fact 23 years since the end of chapter 4. This is 70 years since the end of chapter 1. And so Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were teenagers when they were taken from Judah are now potentially in their 80s as this episode in chapter 5 unfolds before us. Nebuchadnezzar has died And after his death, there were a succession of others who ruled upon the throne of Babylon until we see today a man named Belshazzar is the one who sits on the throne of that great kingdom here at the end. He would be the last ruling monarch of Babylon because of what we see happen here today. Belshazzar reigns. And we're going to see what happens with him as he continues the rebellion that we saw earlier his foregoer, Nebuchadnezzar. So let's read together in verse 1 and on today. And uh, you read along with me if you will. We'll try to do this quickly uh, as we able. Belshazzar, the king, had a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. I mean, uh, that's the Bible's way of telling us that that wine featured prominently here. Uh, There was drunkenness. It's very customary at these feasts. You'll see later a reference to wives and concubines. It is uh, the Bible's allusion to the fact that sexual sin featured prominently uh, at these feasts as well. It was a wild, chaotic party. He was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, (coughs) had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. You remember in chapter 1, that not only did that king, Nebuchadnezzar, take those boys from out of Babylon, he took the holy vessels, the sacred things, from the temple there and tossed them into his own treasury. A total insult, a total smite uh, to the one true and living God as if to say, we are mightier than you are. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Unimaginable here they are, just wild partying, partying, drunkenness, orgy, the whole festival there, gods of stone and wood and front all over the, the situation. And there's King Belshazzar there, he said, bring those vessels, those sacred things of Yahweh God, let us show the world how mighty is Yahweh. He brings them in there and he begins drinking his wine here to his wives, here to his concubines, They begin doing that, and not only that, at the same time, worshiping the false gods all around there. Can you imagine the provocation of that? Verse 5, suddenly, I think the King James says, at the same hour. I mean, here we are doing this, and then, ba-boom, God's there. Immediately, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing, opposite the lampstand, on the plaster of the wall, of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. He's petrified. Wouldn't you be? I mean, you provoked God, and then all of a sudden, divinely finger. I mean, how did they come? Did they kind they of outline? How, did, how, how would you visualize this in modern times? The fingers come, And they begin writing something by the lampstand. And there in the plaza, the king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. These old guys are still around. They've never learned, have they? The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read the inscription, they couldn't even read it, and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck. And have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make no man's interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. He is literally sickened by this. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the word of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the Holy God. You know what I love about this? I love that Daniel is never with the rest of those jokers. right? He's promoted to be among them. I mean, he has the same or even greater rank as them, but he's never with them. Daniel's never rushing in to try to, to be in front of these things. He doesn't think, well, I've got to go along with with their nonsense, so that I can have an audience with the king. It is God who appoints them for God's timing. You don't have to make compromises in your faith. Do we want to seek to be enemies with the culture? No. But we do not have to build godless bridges so that we may be in the company of sinners to do the work that God is able to do. Daniel stays separate, and when it's time, God always has us in the right place, perfectly positioned to do the work that God has set out. We don't have to stand in God's place. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of all the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar, let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare this interpretation. Verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination inside an extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as a third ruler of the kingdom, verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, now listen, notice the difference in Daniel. Daniel's older now, he's walked with the Lord, his confidence is strengthened. Sometimes you just get older, you don't care anymore, right? You say what you want to say. I know that firsthand from some of you folks, right? You you say what you want to say, you say what you know is right. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription of the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high, you notice what's not here? O king, live forever. He ain't gonna live forever, right? We're gonna figure that out in just a minute. O king, the most high God, granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father, Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him, whomever he wished he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated, and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him." He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of the beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart Even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand but the God in whose hands are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him and this description was written out. Verse 25. Now this is the inscription. This is the, these are the words of Daniel speaking to the king. They're in quotation marks. Now this is the description that was written out. Many, many, tekel, farson This is the interpretation interpretation of the message many God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. That's what that word means numbered numbered, numbered God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end heckle you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient that means to be weighed lacking I mean, you come up short You're not going to make it Perez that is the root word of the The word emarsin is mentioned above. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Literally, it means numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That's all God needs to say. He just writes it up on the wall. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation. Now, at authority as the third ruler in the kingdom, that same night Belshazzar the Chaldean was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom about the age of 62. Last night we had so many kids in our church that you may know who went to homecoming at their schools, big production, you know how that goes. Last two weeks, finding the right tie, the right dress. nobody has the number thank God. Uh, but um, the right tie, the right dress. Jackson yesterday uh, probably spent hours polishing his car. I mean, just getting it ready, tire shine right. I mean, just a beautiful, uh, beautiful situation. I came in and uh, I said, you ready to go? He said, Yeah. I said. Uh, What's that you're wearing? He said, uh, it's a belt." I said, "Yeah, but whose belt is that?" He said, "That—that's that's your belt." And, uh, I noticed that it wrapped around it three times. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the, the tip of the belt did come to the smallest back and, after it went around. But um, I said, "How did you make that happen?" He said, "Oh, I poked a hole in it." Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Okay, so i't wear my belt I will have a random hole somewhere but <laughs> Everything's got to be perfect, right? You think of prom, you think of a wedding, you think of this homecoming now, the atmosphere has to be great. The place where you take the pictures, the, the, the reservations for dinner have to be at the right atmosphere. That's what we're going for something that suits the occasion. The atmosphere has to be really primed and ready to go. In this situation we see a, an atmosphere that is just perfect. An atmosphere that just beckons into it the judgment of God. God's hand comes in judgment here, and it has everything to do with the table that is set of sinfulness by Belshazzar. And I want to look at this together today. What is it here that invites and demands the judgment of God in this situation? I think there are four elements if we look at this together. The first is this there's a false sense of security. What's happening right at this moment that's not in the biblical text but is well and repletely attested by historical documents is that the city of Babylon is surrounded by the armies of Cyrus the Great. The Persian who's partnered with the Medes, and another kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire. You remember Darius, who takes over at the end, is a Mede. And so these combined armies have been coming across the countryside just chewing up Everything that comes, every town, every city, every kingdom, they're just all encompassing it. And this mighty force is outside, surrounding the walls of the city of Babylon at this moment. You know what strikes me about this? They're having a party at this very moment. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Why would you party in a situation like this? I think the answer is this. They're partying with destruction right at their gates, because they had every reason to believe they were secure in Babylon. You remember the city of Babylon? 15 miles square, a gigantic capital city of that kingdom, 15 miles square, filled with soldiers, walls that were 87 feet thick. An 87 foot thick wall (coughs) that chariots could go on top of and pass each other as they did. 350 uh, feet tall were, were these walls. And then they had towers around the edges that were 100 foot tall than that, 450 feet tall towers with giant, massive, 100 of them, bronze gates that went all the way around. And the mighty Euphrates River came flowing right into the city. That's a source of food, source of water, source of irrigation. They had everything they need. No one's going to starve them out and nobody's coming in. The, the city, the country, the capital is a strong, it is a, def, a well defended place. So much so that these in their pridefulness think at this moment when the threat is right outside the door, they can have a party like what's described here. Isn't that amazing? That false sense of security. We're having a worship center ceiling uh, remodeled or fixed right now. And um, Most of the floor up there in the attic, if you will, is solid wood. Uh, Not one solid piece of wood, but solid boards of wood. You can stand on it. But apparently there's one place that's not solid wood because one of the workers the other day stepped out onto it and there was no support there and he fell through the ceiling. Uh, He went about halfway down to his waist and uh, got stuck there. Uh, He's pretty scraped up and... Uh, but not injured, but, you know, not happy either, and uh, he was just dangling there, and they couldn't get him up. In fact, he's still in there right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're counting him in our Sunday school numbers today. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get him out of there. They finally did, and you can walk up the staircase and see the, the hole still there and the ceiling. Sometimes we put the weight of our life on something we think is secure and a firm foundation and it proves not to be. The only real firm foundation is the Lord. He's the only thing that never fails us. The most trusted man or woman in your life, that father figure, that grandfather figure, whoever it is, that job that you set to retire from, they've been so good to you. I mean, it's all settled in your mind. It can fail in an instant. And one day, death will take it all from us. Everything fails us except for the Lord God. And in this moment, uh, the the, the king had placed the weight of his safety, of his security, on something that was going to be proven to fail just moments later. As we go through this episode, there is a false sense of security. They thought their footing in Babylon, placed them beyond the reach of any danger, including the judgment of God. And I want you to know this morning, it is a risky thing to feel secure in your sin. Listen, it is a risky thing to feel secure in your sin, to be at ease in your trespasses, to grow comfortable and complacent living outside the will of God. Nothing can touch me. After all, it hasn't. After all, things are going just fine. I am at ease here in Babylon And I am protected. If today you're convinced that things must be okay between you and God because your comfort is fine, your prosperity is advancing, or due to the fact that God has so far delayed his judgment, then friends, be careful. You're making a grave mistake. The, The walls of Babylon could not protect Belshazzar. And these false walls of our lives will not protect us. God goes where he pleases and his judgment does not stop. There is one way to peace with God, and it is not the walls of our lives that we build. It is repentance of the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. The only safety for Belshazzar would have been to flee to God, but he did not do it. We see that false source of security, but we see a dangerous <clears throat> act of rebellion. A dangerous act. Of rebellion, God had been so patient with this whole kingdom up to this moment. You wouldn't believe the stuff that happened since uh, since Nebuchadnezzar. We don't have time to talk about it awful. Awful. God had been so patient and abiding with them for so long. And then suddenly something so dastardly happened. Something so evil. This idolatry. This uh, this in-your-face defiance of the Lord drinking from the vessels and worshiping idols and sexual misconduct all around the place and drunkenness happening, when God intervenes, his patience dries up. Blasphemy, idolatry, sin. If he would not, if he could not, if he did not my, my parents had a say that would always strike fear into us. They would say these words Don't make me. You ever heard your parents say that? Don't make me come in there, right? You know what that means? It's if I have to come in there, you're going to pay. He said, Don't make me come in there. They'd say, Do not make me tell you that again. Don't make me say that again. One of my most fearsome ones was my dad would say, Don't you make me stop this what, car. Don't you make me pull this car. I think that only happened once, but it did happen. And I remember it. <laughs> my mom's really the, the most potent one of these is when my mom would say, Do not make me. Right? Do you ever run from your mom? It doesn't go well, right? Don't make me chase you. The message in this is you can push too far. Right? You can go too far if I have to come down here. If I have to do this, listen, judgment is going to be executed. And that's what we see here. There is a dangerous act of rebellion, so dangerous that God's patience dries up, that He sends forth His hand of judgment, that everything changes in a moment. There's no more chances. There's no more second ways. God makes a proclamation of judgment, and that is it. And when we challenge God like this in our lives, I want you to know that God is able to meet the challenge. That is a dangerous sinfulness but we fly in the face of God to do our sin willingly and knowingly. Psalm 75 says this about God. It is God who executes judgment. Listen to the graphic language of this. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed and He pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the graves. But a red is, it's the solid material of grapes and seeds and spices that would go into making wine. Like pulp and orange juice. Uh, the, the image here is of God taking the head. You can almost picture are taking somebody by the hair. He said, okay, here's the cup of my judgment. Here's the bowl of my wrath. It is well mixed. And you're going to drink it. Well, I don't want to drink it. I've gotten away with it for this long, God. This is not fair. God says, no, you're going to drain it all the way down to the graves. You're going to pour out His wrath. We forget that God is a judge sometimes, don't we? We forget He's a judge, but He is. That's what's marvelous about our salvation, really. We're saved. Someone will look at us and say, how did you get saved? Who saved? You? We said, it's the judge himself. saved us. The man with the cup in his hand who rightly would pour out that wrath into our mouth and we would drain it down to the dregs is the very one who, in order to save you, sent his son to the cross of Calvary to bleed and to die there so that we could come to him. That is a marvelous salvation. Can you imagine a courtroom in which you are rightly accused and the sentence is about to gavel down? And just in a moment, the judge comes down and pays the penalty for you. And it is no life fine. It is a death sentence issued to you. And he just robes for a moment. And that brought out uh, is the syringe that plunges into his veins and takes his life there before you. How stunned you would be. You'd never get over it. The story would be unimaginable. That's what's great about our salvation. This very judge is the one that saved us. We can be rescued out of our sin. We can be repositioned from being the judge, the justified, the damned can become the delivered. It's all because of God. That's not what this man did He didn't turn to God. He turned still against God. I want you to know there is a point at which the cup of God's wrath becomes full. There's a point in which sinners cannot provoke, cannot reject, cannot rebel against God forever. If you're playing games with God in the room this morning, it will not last forever. The cup of God's wrath will be full. God is a judge. For those who persist in our sinful defiance of God, there is a vessel of wrath that flows from His holiness that is terrifying in its finality. It comes to the point where it's all over. A dangerous act of rebellion. But thirdly, there's a knowing course of rejection. A knowing course of rejection. Daniel speaks the chilling indictment with a pivotal phrase here. And he says a lot, and it is powerful what he says. But in the middle of it, verse 22, he says this, You, yet you his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. He knew it. This is called a sin against life. That means that the the, the, the rightness, the wrongness of it, the truth of it is fully illuminated. He watched his father, Nebuchadnezzar. He saw it would happen. He heard the stories. He knew. It's not like he thought God was a false God. He knew what God was. And yet he reached down into that treasury, brought out those sacred vessels, gulped down, sin out of the vessels of God's house. He knew exactly what he was doing. He did it anyway. That's the indictment. That's the condemnation. I was on my couch the other day and my kids were being rowdy in the living room and throwing stuff around. Sitting there trying to study a little bit and all of a sudden stuffed animal came my way. I didn't see it coming. It had one of those big hard, round, bulging eyeballs. You know what I mean? Like a marble or something. That marble just, just hit the side of my head right here, right at this bone, right here. And I could have started a nuclear war in that moment. <laughs> oh, the kids could see it on my face, right? I didn't know it, but they could see it on my face. And all of a sudden, they, they, were, they were saying, Dad, we didn't what? Mean to. We didn't mean to, Dad. They might still be in trouble, but there would be a lot more trouble if they did it what? Knowingly. Right? And this man does it knowingly. He does it knowingly. Listen to the powerful words of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. These are hard words. If we go on sinning deliberately, you know what that word is, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. How many sacrifice for sins are there? One. What is His name? The Lord Jesus. If we reject Him, that's it. There's, no longer, there's no other there's no second choice there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will concern, consume the adversaries anyone who has set aside the law of Jesus dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, not a bumper sticker verse, right? We're not, uh, that's not what you see on the website. But this is a truth in a knowing course of rejection. If we go on sinning deliberately after having what? Received the knowledge of truth. If you have tasted, if you have sampled it and spit it out of your mouth. If you have received that awareness that would not make Jesus your Savior. Then guess what? There is judgment. Um, this is a knowing course of rejection. There was a lady at Flat Creek Baptist Church last week at their revival one of our favorite sister churches right down the road. I'm probably not allowed to say that but they are one of my favorite ones and a great sister church 82 years old at their revival. A lady who was a lifelong church attender at Flat Creek. 82 stood up and that revival service came forward and said I've never been saved. I've never been to I've been here since the little girl, saintly the old lady, right? You would look at her and think, oh, surely she's got the Lord. She said, I've never placed my trust in Jesus. Praise God that she did. Can you imagine? At 82 years old, with the illumination of truth that's available to us all around this area of our country, having sat under gospel teaching for that many years to then have to stand before Jesus and give an account? That's a fearsome thing. That's a sin against light. Praise God, she came to him in time. If you're here today, and you have sampled the goodness of God but refused for these long years to embrace His salvation. If you've received the knowledge of truth but have been unwilling to surrender your sinfulness and let God change you, you are in a grievous position today. If you're listening to this in ages to come, you, friend, no matter what the world has become, no matter what the world is teaching in those ages distant from here, I tell you the truth on the authority of the Word of God, you are in a grievous position. Do not walk into eternity in unrepentance, especially knowing not number your heart, even though you do all this. And lastly, I want to move quickly. A clear pronouncement of judgment. There is a clear pronouncement of judgment. Number, number, weighed, divided. I'd just say number twice. I just kind of look that. Why number twice? Here's my guess. My best, my best shot. The numbers have been numbers. But the chances that they're in sequence down, they're over. Your numbers have been remember you've been weighed, the kingdom's gonna come to an end, you're gonna be divided. I do death notifications a lot as a police officer. Sometimes build the night, sometimes build the day, it doesn't matter. Somebody dies, a motorcycle crash, or heart attack at work, or whatever. Says send us to make first contact. I remember over and over, stand on people's doorsteps, <coughs> knock, not, knock, knock. Yes? Is there a problem? Well, I'm sorry to be here to be don't want to share this with you, but your son has died. Your dad passed away. Uh, is your neighbor, is that your neighbor that lives here? Yes, that's my, that's my neighbor. I'm sorry now dead. He, he has died tonight. The same look over and over, every time. It's the same look. They just stand there. They can't believe it. They want to appeal the decision. Maybe we can file a lawsuit and get this reversed. That's what we think. Is there a way to appeal this? Can you call a supervisor? Is there somebody I can talk to? The hard thing about death, the reason for that expression of face that we see in those death notifications, is because we're chewing on we're processing the strange reality that there are no more chances, it's over with. These things belong to the head of the Almighty, and we are not him. Number, number, there's no more chances, this is over, a clear pronouncement of judgment. I want to ask you if your number was numbered today. If your number was numbered today, what would God, what would he have to write on your wall? Would he dip his finger into the cup of wrath and begin writing a message of judgment over you? Or would he, would he be able to reach into the fountain that is filled with the soul-saving blood of his very own son and write forgiveness? Would he write outlaw? Would he write, Son, over you? Dude, the choice really is yours. God has done what he set out to do The offer of salvation is on the table for anyone who would come. The living waters will flow into your life. The cleansing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ will indeed have its intended effect for those who will open up their lives and say, Yes, yes, not yet, but yes, the faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, I wonder if God might be even waiting for you this morning. He waited and waited for Nebuchadnezzar. He waited and waited in that kingdom. And finally the day came and the deal was over. Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise and some count slowness, but He is patient toward you. He's waiting for that day of judgment because He's patient, not wishing that any should perish, at all, should reach repentance. Are you saved this morning? This might be your very day to come to the You might be 82 and here today, and say, I'm not going to stand before the Lord and answer that question. I'm coming to the cross of Christ this morning. Maybe you're a Christian today, but you know you're out of fellowship with God. You know you're out of fellowship with God. Someone has said, "The like Adrian Rogers has said, the most miserable person is not the lost person, but is the Christian who is out of fellowship with God. You're a Christian, but you are not doing what God wants you to do. You're living your own way. I want you to know if you belong to Christ, you are indeed secure in your salvation, but there are consequences and pains for those of us who walk our own way away from our Savior. Don't do that. Come back to God today. It was too late for Belshazzar, but it's not too late for us in this room. It's not too late. Today is the day. To take hold of God's hand. Why don't you do that? Why don't you take hold of God's hand before you fall under it? Let me pray for us. Just a moment I want to offer a test to respond. I think it's warm in the room today. And I see your fatigue on your face special test. Okay. But maybe God wants to awaken you to something this morning. why stop now, I wait the next week. Why put it off. The life gets in, and life dulls, and all of a sudden, the voice is now. You need to come to the Lord today. Why don't you do that? Our God is a judge, but praise God, the judge is a savior. Amen. Amen. And so, today, you need to make a decision for Christ. You can come. We'll baptize you. We'll stand with you and celebrate. You need to come as a Christian. And say, "Imagine I am out of fellowship with God." You, you don't even have to tell me if you don't want to. I'll be happy to talk to you. You come up front and bend the knee here and pray. You can pray right there and say, Lord, I, I want to walk with you again. I've done this wrong, Lord. I've forgotten the seriousness really, of who you are. I've taken you for granted. I've trampled underfoot the Son of God. I profaned the blood of the covenant. I have outraged the spirit of grace, God. Would you in mercy walk with me again? Let me tell you, he'll say yes. He didn't come and give his life for you so that he could fold his arms coldly and deny you. You come to save him. He loves you. You need to come for church membership or baptism. We're here for any other reason. Lord, thank you today for the word of God for trusting it to us. I know it's been a long text, a long message today. Father, redeem your word. Plan in our lives and make a difference. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and as we do.